0: Hello, welcome to the Sound of History Podcast.
1: Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the Sound of History Podcast.
0: My name is Nick.
1: My name is Nick. <laughs> <laughs> There's not even alcohol involved this time. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Nick.
0: That's Mika. And <laughs> 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 Oh, man. This is going to be a long one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And this is a music history podcast where we're telling the whole story of American music piece by piece.
1: Yeah, everything. We don't leave out a single detail.
0: Nope, and Mika knows and remembers all of it.
1: I am a wealth of knowledge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, follow us on social media. Haven't plugged that in a while because we do a whole lot on there and we're very active and very good social media
1: We're also very good at podcasting.
0: That's I'm true. I'm very good at
1: podcasting. <laughs> You're okay.
0: Do you want to tell them our social media accounts?
1: Uh, We have one on Twitter. Yes. It's the one with the blue bird, but the bird <laughs> itself is white on a blue background. Um, and you can... <laughs> I'm going to see how long I can make this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be a fun edit. Hi, future Nick. <laughs> I love you.
0: Twitter bird's not white.
1: The Twitter bird is totally white. On the app. No, on the app, the Twitter bird is white on a blue background. Fight me. Anyway, you can find us there at soundofhistory underscore. Yes. And that's where we're most active. And I think we're also Sound of History on Facebook. But like, I don't know.
0: Yes, we are.
1: Only lame people use. We don't have a (laughs) (laughs) Pinterest. You don't have a Pinterest. I have a Pinterest.
0: So follow us on there. Keep up to date because we don't always post every week because we're great at this.
1: Because I have poor mental health.
0: So that's where we'll post about if we have to, like, take another week off or something. But you know, and it's normally every other week. We'll do that at least, and most of the time it's every week. Woo! And then leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and. Spotify and all the fun places. Let us know what you like and don't like, and no we can change No one
1: actually reviews, but you can rate us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I mean you can do review you us review if you people? want to. Do you review people? No.
1: Yeah, I don't. No one reviews people. I, I mean, some people do. Let's not waste these fine listeners' time.
0: <laughs> if you want to do it, if you don't, don't. We don't care. But it would help us out by like making us more popular in search results and stuff. So. You know all the fun stuff that, that a marketing a person thing? needs to uh, talk about. Okay, what? We're we're ready for our show within a show. What are you calling it this week? Are we back to Mika as the host now?
1: Uh, see, here's my problem. I can go. Mika is the host now.
0: That is a problem. I see how that. <laughs> <laughs> see how that is a problem. That's
1: better than he could. Go, Mika's plugs.
0: I think Mika's the host now is the better name anyway. Mika's
1: the host now is better.
0: You're just going to have
1: to accept it, Jacob. (laughs) Mika is the host now. Um, Happy Mental Health Day. It's very important that mental health is is a thing. Because if you don't have it, life is not great.
0: (laughs) It's very important that mental health is a thing. (laughs) on, Quote that, it. <laughs> on that, that subject, that on I would
1: like to plug <laughs> therapy because I love my therapist and it just helps a lot to be able to go in a room and act crazy and cry a whole bunch and have them not judge you on the outside and I think on the inside because <laughs> I found a great therapist. So yeah, if if you can, I mean, it makes such a big difference. Yeah. I really like my therapist. Cool. And, and my other plug.
0: It's probably not mental health day when they're listening to this, by the way.
1: It's mental health day today.
0: So it won't be when they're listening to this. Right. But happy past mental health day.
1: No, every day is mental health day, if you believe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a different one, but I forgot it. <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Is so Mika no longer the host now?
1: Yeah, don't let me talk anymore. I think I've hit my quota. <laughs>
0: Already in the first yes. five minutes.
1: <laughs> Listen, I said a lot of dumb shit <laughs> in the first five minutes, so I'm done. Oh,
0: well, we got six pages of script to get through, so this is gonna be a long one.
1: How much is it's normal? Like four. Yeah,
0: four-ish. This is like five and a half, so a little bit longer than normal. Oh no. Well, as we're inching, all right, but we're just, we're getting into the show. Inching? This is the music. Inching amus- into the show. This no, no. We normally just jump right into the show after your show and within a show.
1: This is not jumping in though.
0: No. But I, I felt like there needed to be a transition. So this is my transition. We're getting into music history now. Oh. So as we're inching ever closer towards the birth of rock and roll, one of the defining moments of American music history. That's so that's kinda like we're doing this little run up because rock and roll is so important. So this is another step towards it. And Everything we're going is to step towards rock and roll <laughs> if you believe. We're going to take this time to focus in on some of the genres that directly influenced rock and roll. Probably the one that influenced it the most is the blues. So we're gonna no do no it. No. So we're doing a blues part two.
1: No, no, no. No, do you no, remember no,
0: no, no. Do you remember anything about the blues no. part one? Do you remember where the blues was birthed out of? New Orleans. No, that's jazz. Dang it close i don't know the south yes the mississippi delta
1: i don't know what the delta is
0: (laughs) mississippi we'll just go with that
1: what is a delta
0: (laughs) it's a triangle but like i don't know what else it is (laughs) we're not gonna we got a lot to cover so we're not gonna weigh your head down with more what's (laughs) a delta (laughs) i'll give you an exact definition thank
1: you am i the only one that doesn't know what the mississippi delta actually is
0: this is just delta airlines
1: I do know that. I know Delta Airlines. I know Delta as the symbol that is just a triangle in, like, science and scientific equations. And it also means change in uh, medical shorthand. Does it? Yeah.
0: The Mississippi Delta is the distinctive northwest section of the U.S. state of Mississippi and portions of Arkansas and Louisiana, which lies between the Mississippi and Yazoo rivers.
1: Why is it called the Delta? Because
0: I think a Delta is kind of like a marshy land, like a swampy land, I think.
1: Get out of my swamp.
0: That's just not true. What? The region has been called the most southern place on Earth. But southern in the sense of characteristic of its region, the American South. So it's where the most southern people live. I believe it. It has a lot of flooding and floodplain, so that's why, whatever, that's where the blues is from. Cool. And then it moved up north with the Great Migration, but we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode.
1: It's where all the birds migrated to Florida.
0: Yes. Do you remember any of the names of the people we talked about? There were a few of them. No. (laughs) Talked about Robert Johnson.
1: Okay, I remember that. We name.
0: talked about blind lemon Jefferson.
1: Yeah, what the heck's wrong <laughs> with that? <laughs> There's a
0: few people we talked about.
1: No, there was another one with a weird name.
0: I mean there were Sun House.
1: That's not a person.
0: That is a person. What? <laughs> but we stopped talking about the blues around the thirties. So we're gonna focus on blues in the forties and the early fifties today. Just kinda like moving it along. In the 20s, blues transitioned from the country, rural style of blues to something called urban blues. All of these artists were now separated from their local communities and had to adapt their sound to more diverse populations. They were trying to, like, appeal to a wider audience. Whiter. Yes, that too. Actually, I don't know if any of them really (laughs) cared. (laughs) During this period, female singers started to dominate the blues. The big three were Ma Rainey, Bessie Smith, and Lucille Bogan. This movement to urban centers also opened the way or also opened the blues up to outside influences. It started to take on aspects of jazz and eventually doo-wop
1: Doo-wop
0: paired with blues would be a very interesting sound during the thirties and the Great Depression, as even more blues artists and fans left the rural areas of the south to the urban centers, the blues took on a more refined quality. The lyrics shifted to talk more about urban issues instead of the country blues that were popular in the early 20s. Also, the what blues
1: b- urban issues
0: oh, like overcrowding,
1: talking <laughs> about overcrowding instead of someone stealing your girlfriend. Well, I'm sure that was a still a big tire.
0: part of it. The girlfriend and your
1: dog dying. It's, that's the country blues.
0: <laughs> I don't think it's country. <laughs> I'm
1: just going to keep throwing you off this whole time.
0: (laughs) It's working a lot. You're
1: just going to keep staring at me being like, what the heck are you talking about?
0: (laughs) So also during the 30s, blues bands started to form. Before this, blues was primarily a solo singer with like an acoustic guitar. But now they added more instruments and occasionally vocal harmonies. Normally these additional instruments were harmonicas, pianos, and then a bass and a drum for a rhythm section. So kind of like a rock band. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I I thought I talked about this, but it might not be in here. But everyone moved up north in like a thing called the Great Migration. With all the birds. Yes. It was basically like a whole bunch of people uh, escaping the like segregation and racist stuff of the South. So they went north, and also during, like, the Great Depression, there was more jobs in the cities, so they went there instead of, like, the farms where they couldn't be paid. So that's why everyone's up north in the urban centers now. I thought I had that in here, but apparently I didn't.
1: Good ad living.
0: Atlanta, Memphis, St. Louis, and Detroit, thanks to an artist named John Lee Hooker who settled there, were the prominent blue cities.
1: He just settled in all four simultaneously?
0: <laughs> no, he was Detroit. Like, he's he's the big dude from Detroit. The other ones have, like, a few other people, but he was, like, the big Detroit guy that made Detroit a blue city. There was a guy named T-Bone Walker who popularized a style of West Coast blues.
1: <laughs> There's nothing I can say to T-Bone. <laughs>
0: T-Bone was a massive pioneer in blues and shaped it by his use of the electric guitar before others were using it. Cool. He was instrumental in the change from the pre-war style of guitar playing, popularized by people like Blind Lemon and Jefferson, into what it would become in the next few decades. T-Bone's stepfather played the bass fiddle in a band in Dallas called the Dallas String Band. So growing up... It's very creative. (laughs) Yeah. So, growing up, T Bone wanted to follow in his dad's footsteps, and he started to try and master every stringed instrument that he could get his hands on. Early on, T Bone was exposed to some great guitar players. He even led Blind Lemon Jefferson bar hopping in Dallas when he was a kid.
1: That's pretty. When he was a kid? Well,
0: younger, from like teenagers.
1: <laughs> I have a question. Uh oh. Is T Bone his God given birth
0: name? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no. But I didn't write down what his real name is.
1: Theodore Bone. Oh, boy. Oh, what? What?
0: Aaron Thibault? Thibault? <laughs> T-H-I-B-E-A-U-X. Aaron Nice. Thibault. <laughs> Aaron Thibault Walker. Very, like, French name, so I feel like he's from Louisiana. But he's not. He's from Texas.
1: Cool.
0: His dad was named Rance. Lawrence.
1: Lawrence?
0: Rance. Just R A N C E. Yeah. Okay. So, what's well T Bone's real name? Aaron Thibault. Thanks for sidetracking me again. You're welcome. <laughs> so, he led Blind Lemon Jefferson bar hopping once when Lemon was in Dallas. In the 30s, he left for the West Coast and he got hired in a few different bands, primarily as a vocalist and not a guitarist. But it was during this period that he started to, to define his guitar style and he played like a few clubs as like a side gig from his band. He started to add acrobatics like playing behind his back and doing the splits That's on stage.
1: awesome.
0: In the 40s he's OG
1: rock star. <laughs> yeah I'm telling you OG like rock star we're too heading well. toward the
0: birth of it. In the 40s he signed with Capitol Records that wasn't doing so well and he released, released a few songs with them. Through the rest of the 40s and the 50s, he recorded hit after hit and became well-known for his unique and unbelievable guitar playing. He went on to influence hundreds of prominent guitar players and sort of changed the face of blues guitar. Chuck Berry, who may be the first rock and roller ever, but we'll get to that.
1: Is he the one who does... No, that's George Strait. (laughs) (laughs) Continue.
0: Drastically different people.
1: <laughs> it's fine. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going.
0: Chuck Berry, who may be the first rock and roller ever, cited T Bone as his main influence. B.B. King is well known to have loved and been shaped by T Bone. Jimi Hendrix was influenced by T Bone and even borrowed his trick of playing the guitar with his teeth.
1: I know that one.
0: <laughs> okay, good.
1: This? That wasn't him originally? That was no, T Bone? T Bone started that. Hell yeah.
0: Here, do you want to hear one of T-Bone's most popular songs?
1: I want to hear and see T-Bone. I don't
0: think we get to see him play. But this is him, Stormy Monday, is what this one's called. Oh, that's like
1: today. It's (laughs) (laughs)
0: Saturday. She's jamming to it. You guys can't see. ponytail's going crazy. (laughs) Yeah. on fire on the candle.
1: Yeah, when was lost? And, then that happened. and whose fault was it?
0: Yours. Yours! You put a candle on the ground it's your fault.
1: Alright, I'm bored now.
0: Alright, well that was T-Bone's guitar playing on Stormy Monday. I like it.
1: I would like to listen to it on a Stormy Monday. <laughs> honestly. It, w- it was really like a vibe.
0: Despite T-Bone and his West Coast style of blues, the capital city of the blues was always Chicago.
1: Chicago,
0: Chicago. Yep, that is a blues song. <laughs> 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 most of the best-known and most influential musicians, well, blues, muse- blues musicians.
1: You have, are you okay? You have a <laughs> stroke?
0: Lived How many and worked. I hold it up. Lived and worked in <laughs> Chicago. And they played in a lot of blues clubs during that time. During the 20s, people like Sonny Boy Williams and Tampa Red, who was the T-bone of slide guitar.
1: Why do none of them have real names?
0: <laughs> Sonny Boy Williams is a real name. Tampa Red could be a real name. It shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, S- Tampa Red was the T-bone of slide guitar. So he was the most like influential slide guitar player. That's cool. And people like that played out of Chicago. After the war, a new generation moved in. This generation contains some of the most well-known musicians in blues history. People like Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, who we will talk about next week.
1: Is that all one name?
0: No, Howlin' Wolf is one name. Okay. Muddy Waters is the second name.
1: I wasn't going to be surprised if it was all one name.
0: (laughs) And we're going to talk about Muddy Waters next week. Elmore James and Buddy Guy. So those Do are just I know Buddy Guy? I think you're probably thinking of Buddy Rich.
1: No. I don't know. <laughs> I that doubt either. you know Buddy Guy. That's my buddy Guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's hard to overstate this generation of blues musicians and just how important they were. Are you still laughing at your own joke? <laughs> I'm
1: laughing at how dumb I am. <laughs>
0: One of the most (laughs) because it's more entertaining than just me reading a script.
1: (laughs) Hey world, look how dumb my wife
0: is. No, you're not dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One of the most important incubators for the blues in Chicago was an open air market on Maxwell Street.
1: Incubators are not open air.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean. (laughs)
1: It was a great, it was a good sentence.
0: So then why you poke holes?
1: (laughs) (laughs) To make you stronger. As a writer. I'm fine
0: with good. (laughs) You don't have to go, you don't have to make it better than I. If it's a good sentence, then leave it. (laughs) It was one of the largest open-air markets in the country, which made it the perfect place for blues artists to gather, play for tips, and jam with other blues musicians who would show up. People could go there and just, like, walk down the market and just, like, listen to all these new styles and techniques that were happening and I just, like, learn that. and develop. Sound like a cool little spot for, like, budding blues musicians. And for me. <laughs> yes.
1: I just won't go for a walk.
0: Blues clubs, which started in African-American communities on the south side, also played a large part in blowing up Chicago blues. Blues clubs were kind of, like, the second step of a blues player's career. They started out playing street corners and talent shows and stuff like that, eventually moving up into the blues clubs. This meant that the clubs had some of the best musicians. It also allowed for more stable employment, and some of the groups could experiment with adding instruments. Mm. You can't really have that many instruments on a street corner, but you could at a club. Like, it's hard to bring a whole drum set out to a street corner. That's a very
1: good point, sir.
0: (laughs) Thank you. One of the most popular blues clubs in Chicago was a place called Rudy Lee Gatewood's Tavern. It was known as The Gates.
1: That's better. <laughs> you should have just named it that.
0: At some point, almost every famous Chicago blues musician has played there. These clubs also allowed for electric drums to be used, which added a whole new b- dimension to the sound. Also during this time, local labels started to emerge as a viable way of getting your records out to the people.
1: Cool.
0: So with a few of those labels in Chicago, it became known all over the country as the capital of the blues. One of these labels, Bluebird Records, started out as a lower-cost subsidiary of RCA Victor Records, but became famous for a particular style of sound that came to be known as the Bluebird Sound and was like a major influence on R&B and rock. I feel like you're not listening and you're just chiming in with cool. Every
1: now. No, I'm listening It's the bluebird.
0: <laughs> yes, Bluebird is a word that has been said. I'm
1: also <laughs> trying to think about how to stay bundled up and drink my tea and <laughs> hold the microphone in a way that's not going to give you a lot of noise that you have to edit out.
0: You need a straw. Or you need one of those hats with like the beers. No. And you just you pour your tea into thought. it no. and you just have a little straw. That, that sounds you
1: sounds horrible.
0: Just shotgun your tea. Do Continue. You, do you want to hear an example of a bluebird artist?
1: Yeah, I, I want to hear a bluebird doing the style of the blues.
0: I don't have that, but I do have a guy named Big Bill Brunsey.
1: So much alliteration.
0: <laughs> He's a bluebird artist named Big Bill Brunzi. Hey, what Here the is his does song does he play? Here's his song. Well, it's, this is three songs, so I don't know what this one is. This is him. That's an example the kind of bluebird artist that they would be putting
1: out. I like it a lot. I feel like it would accompany me on a walk, where I'm walking, but like instead of me that's moving, that's what you do on a walk. Yeah, but like no, picture this: I'm walking, but instead okay. of me moving,
0: the scene, the cartoon
1: you? background moves or behind me. Okay, that's what's happening in that song. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. I mean, I'm not gonna argue with that.
1: <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like.
0: <laughs> sure. The 1950s was when Chicago blues really hit its stride. Artists developed the use of amplified harmonicas and guitars for the leads, a loud rhythm section, and they also liked to reference the Mississippi Delta style of the blues, which was the blues origins as we already talked about, and they would reference it a lot in their songs. All of these things became key identifiers of the Chicago blues sound, and in a lot of ways they still are. Also, more labels got involved, so more music was getting out. Record labels like Chess, VJ, and Cobra were all local labels that were signing and releasing a lot of music from a lot of artists. So Chess Records was probably the most important and the largest of the Chicago Blues labels. So we're going to talk about them for a little bit. Chess Records was started by two Polish immigrants, Leonard and Phil Chess. They started out working in their father's junkyard before quitting that to open a liquor store in the south side of Chicago, which was a predominantly African American community. Using the money that they made from that liquor store, they purchased a blues club called the Macomba Lounge in 1946 that started their first foray into making records. At the time, African American artists weren't favored by the major labels, but no one could deny their talent. At first, the Chess brothers wanted to focus more on the jazz music that was popular at their club, but they took a risk on a raw, southern blues-inspired artist that they didn't really understand all that much, and they released the song, I Can't Be Satisfied. It was by a guy named Muddy Waters, who would become a blues legend and icon. The song was an instant hit in the African-American community, and the first pressing sold out in two days. So the brothers were hooked and focused on that kind of music from then on out. Here is I Can't Be Satisfied by Muddy Waters, their first big hit at Chess Records. I can't
1: be satisfied. No, satisfied,
0: it's not Hamilton. My
1: cat oh, is funny. Back no more. Going back
0: down
1: south, child. Don't you want, want when I'm trouble. Be all I? Like deeper. Well, this babe, I was the by the way.
0: Come. It was not called Chess Records. I know you do not. Well, know I, about I that like swear
1: Pistol in your face. I feel like aristocrat I'm gonna let is a made-up bird, and Lord aristocrat is the real thing. I'm because I knew, be I knew about aristocrats before I knew about aristocrats.
0: Well, then that settles it. Well, baby, I
1: never be <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> what just my just brain can't thinks. Can't <laughs>
0: that was Muddy Waters' I Can't Be Satisfied, the first major hit for the Chess Brothers. Da, da. No, again, not Hamilton. It's safe to say that in the 50s, the Chess Records label changed the history of American music. They released hit after legendary hit from some of the most influential blues artists and also the first rock and roll artist. who'd oh, that? Chuck Berry. They released songs from people like Chuck Berry and Howlin' Wolf that would like be considered rock and roll. Oh. A song they put out is widely regarded as the first rock and roll song ever recorded, but we're going to talk about that later when we get into the Tease. rock and roll. What?
1: You're such a tease.
0: Oh, I thought you were trying to remember someone's name.
1: <laughs> no, T-Bone.
0: Yeah. Chuck Berry is probably the father of rock and roll, depending on who you ask, but I think most people would agree with that. John Lennon once said that if you wanted to give rock and roll another name, you could call it Chuck Berry. He released That's an a
1: dumb thing to say.
0: What? It's just saying that Chuck Berry is rock and roll.
1: Yeah, there's a better way to say that.
0: He's John Lennon. You can't say he's bad at saying things. He's bad at saying things. (laughs) Chuck Berry released a number of songs for Chess Records, including his most famous one, Maybelline. We're going to talk about it more when we get...
1: Maybelline. 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 No. (laughs) What's the Maybelline catchphrase?
0: Maybe it's Maybelline.
1: Maybe it's Maybelline
0: not this. This is Maybelline by Chuck Berry and we're going to talk more about Chuck Berry when we talk about rock and roll and probably this song too but just wanted to play you be true? it here oh, Why can't you be true? so this is considered one of the first rock songs Probably named after a
1: person. Same person. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, that's Maybelline. There's a lot of cars Barry. in that. It's about cars.
1: It's about cars. He saw
0: Maybelline in a coupe.
1: It's about Maybelline.
0: <laughs> Maybe Maybelline was a car.
1: Maybe Maybelline was a car. <laughs>
0: In the 1960s, Chess Records entered their Etta James period and had a lot of success releasing her music. I like her. Basically, Chess Records changed the game completely in the 50s. They are largely responsible for people knowing the Chicago blues sound and it still being like such an important thing in music. Apparently it was a pretty tough scene to be involved in though. Money wasn't exactly flooding through and a lot of the artists and neighborhoods could be hot-blooded and violent. Knife fights in the Chess Records offices were pretty normal. Also, mainstream music outlets didn't want anything to do with, quote, black music. So to try and get around that, the Chess Brothers assigned writing credits to some of the radio DJs in an effort to get them to play the songs. Because if if the song got played on air, all the writers would get a little bit of money for it.
1: I do know how royalties work. (laughs) Okay, other people might not.
0: It's not all about you, ma'am.
1: But listen, if I know it, <laughs> probably they know it.
0: They The Chess Brothers also bought a radio station to get more airplay.
1: That <laughs> seems counterproductive. Was that Maybe. lucrative? I
0: don't know. As influential and important as the Chess Brothers were, they made some poor decisions in an effort to make more money.
1: Like buying a radio station?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think more like morally poor. Instead of paying artist royalties, they were known to buy them Cadillacs or pay off their bills instead. So this got them into quite a bit of legal trouble down the road because they owed a lot of artist royalties and stuff. <laughs> and it it was kind of the case we talked about a little bit where, like, a lot of these blues artists didn't really know anything about business or money or music business. So, like... They would just do whatever. They'd be like, yeah, you're buy me a car, sure, I'll do that. Without realizing that they could get a lot more money by not doing that. Also known as exploitation. Whoa. They sold the company in 1969, shortly before Leonard Chess passed away from a heart attack. But the legacy of the record label still lives on. The old offices are now a Chicago landmark. The other brother, Phil Chess, died in 2016 in Arizona. He said the reason they were so good at spotting blues talent and why they were naturals for the blues. He said, quote, "We came from Poland in 1928. That was blues all the time.
1: Poland so. is blues
0: in 1928. Apparently, it was like you a very war torn country, folks." So that is basically the story of the blues in the 30s and the 40s, which is really the story of Chicago blues. But before we end this episode, I want to talk a little bit about Howlin' Wolf. We're talking about Muddy Waters next week, but it was kind of a toss-up for me on which one I was going to actually talk about, because I like them both. So I'm going to briefly tell Howlin's story now, as in-depth as a whole episode. It's not going to be as in-depth as a whole episode would be, but, you know, it'll be something.
1: Howlin' was born Howlin' Billy Bob Wolf. Uh, His name's way more
0: sophisticated than that. You're cutting him. You're cutting him real short.
1: 1922. No. Darn. Close
0: ish. Howlin' Wolf, real name Chester Arthur Bennett. Wow. (laughs) Told you. It's way more sophisticated. Was born in 1910 in West Point, Mississippi. He grew up. Is
1: that in the Delta?
0: (laughs) Probably. He grew up on a cotton plantation and started playing music really young. In the twenties and thirties he started a tour all around the southeast playing in clubs. Blind Lemon Jefferson and Sonny Boy Williams were his major influences during this period of his life. He was a like really big guy. He was six foot three and often weighing close to three hundred pounds. Big boy. So this got him the nickname Bigfoot Chester and Bull Cow as a kid. That's horrible. Those were his childhood nicknames.
1: That's really bad. So
0: Howlin' Wolf is probably better than Bull Cow. Apparently he got the nickname Howlin' Wolf from his grandfather, who would get mad at him when he was a little reckless with his squeezing chickens. I'm sorry? <laughs> that was just how he played when he was a child, squeezing chickens.
1: That's horrible.
0: The chickens wound I do up hate chickens, though. The chickens wound up dead, and yes. his grandfather would say the wolves were going to come get them. So his family started calling him the Wolf. But later, Howlin' Wolf would claim that his idol, Jimmy Rogers, gave him the name Howlin' Wolf.
1: These people, why they always be lying?
0: (laughs) Just publicity. Why
1: they be lying?
0: And this isn't the Jimmy Rogers we talked about, by the
1: way. Respect your elder.
0: Because I read that, and I was like, wait, Jimmy Rogers was his idol? Because Jimmy Rogers is the country guy we talked about. I was like, that doesn't make sense, but this is another blues artist named Jimmy Rogers.
1: I already forgot that he talked about a Jimmy I, Rogers.
0: I, that was more for other people, not you. I knew yeah, you didn't remember. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm just, if you forgot, you're not alone. <laughs> but I probably am.
0: <laughs> in the 1940s, he moved to Arkansas, which had a flourishing blues tradition, and formed a group with a couple of other musicians who would all become prominent blues artists in their own right, but not as big as Howlin' Wolf. He played the guitar and the harmonica, but he was known for his guttural voice. In 1948, at only 38 years old, Howlin' Wolf was given his own radio show, which was when he started using the Howlin' Wolf name professionally.
1: It does sound like a radio DJ.
0: (laughs) This show got him the attention of legendary record producer Sam Phillips out of Sun Records. This was the same guy who first discovered Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis. Sam offered to bring Howlin' Wolf to Memphis and make some records, which Howlin' Wolf agreed to do. So in 1951, he recorded his first single, or his first hit, with Moanin' at Midnight.
1: That sounds very sexual.
0: Well, we're about to listen to it, so you can tell. It was Moanin' at Midnight by Howl I don't know if I'm ready this. Are you trying
1: to seduce
0: me? I don't know if this would be the round I would take to making you listen to an hour-long thing you don't care at all it's about. an hour? Yeah, the song. Is not, no, I'm talking about the podcast. Oh. <laughs>
1: the story. He's well, there's so someone proud knocking of, his of door. this moment. Well, but he's just milking <laughs> it way too much. You know that one storyteller that's like and I was drinking a iced caramel macchiato and mm-hmm. and the I was wearing that one outfit. No, not that one. Like the other one with the hat.
0: See, when you first started this and you were talking about like wordy storytellers who didn't get to the point, my mind went to Charles Dickens and then you started talking like that and <laughs> I was like, I don't <laughs> A little different vibe than what I was going See, for. See, you're just way more sophisticated <laughs> than I am. Charles Dickens writing about a caramel mocha. I would read that. Yeah,
1: but listen, we're talking about a hookup. And did Charles Dickens have game? I don't oh, think so. Oh, probably.
0: Did. I mean, if Benjamin Franklin was in like sex Benjamin, clubs, oh, then I, don't I want think, to talk about Benjamin <laughs> Then Frank, I think Charles Dickens could get around. I
1: don't want to talk about I Benjamin mean, Franklin. His
0: last name is Dickens. He could. He could get around. Anyway, back to Howlin' Wolf. <laughs>
1: after, th-
0: after the success of Monin' at Midnight, he moved to Chicago where he was instrumental in making it the worldwide center of blues music. He, along with the other Chicago blues musicians, took the acoustic style of the Mississippi Delta blues and amplified it and electrified it. Howlin' Wolf moved to Chicago originally because he got a deal with Chess Records, so he was a little different in that he didn't develop his sound in Chicago. He went there as like an already established player.
1: Developed Chicago. Sound.
0: <laughs> but still, Chicago blues influenced and changed his sound after he mm-hmm. got there. In 1954, Howlin' Wolf started working with Will Dixon, who was Chess Records' leading composer. And together they churned out songs that all became blues standards. Those songs also were some of the first to get the attention of overseas music fans. Howland it was
1: probably Poland.
0: <laughs> yes. It, Poland is the blues all the time.
1: Poland is the blues.
0: Howlin' Wolf toured Europe in the early 60s, which led the Rolling Stones to cover to cover one of his songs and earn a number one in England with that cover. That's cool. Helen Wolf was known for his rigid control over his own finances.
1: Hell yeah, dude.
0: Despite being basically illiterate until his 40s, he managed his money well and got to Chicago in his own car with $4,000 in his pocket.
1: I'm so proud. Which
0: was an unheard of amount for an African-American man of his background. A king. He married a woman from an upper-class African-American family who attended one of his shows. He saw her in the crowd and immediately tried to pursue her, despite her not belonging to the more seedy world of the Chicago blues.
1: Holy cow.
0: was some (laughs) confidence on him.
1: No, I feel like that's he he has confidence like that's just like every person's dream, you know, like when they're a teenager where they're like, yeah, I'm going to go be in the audience at this <laughs> concert. I'm just gonna be like singing really loud and like know all the words and they're going to see that. I know all the words and be like so impressed with me. Plus, I look hot <laughs> like that's that's how teenagers think. Yeah, And it actually works for someone.
0: Yeah. All Time Low wrote about a girl that he saw singing in the crowd at one of the shows. Alex, the singer of All Time Low. The song Lost in Stereo. That's about I one time w- where they were just... didn't p-
1: know that.
0: They were just playing a show and he looked out and he just saw a girl rocking out in the crowd to it. And then he just wrote that song about her.
1: Oh my god, that <laughs> is a new life goal of mine.
0: <laughs> Okay, anyway, Lily, his wife, managed his finances after they got married. With her doing that, Howlin' Wolf became so well off that he was able to offer musicians not only a steady salary, but health benefits as well. I love that. Which meant he had his pick of whatever musicians he wanted.
1: I love that. What a good employer. Yeah. Please don't tell me he was an asshole. Not that I know. Great.
0: I mean, they're all from rougher backgrounds, so I don't know, but...
1: That does not mean they're It doesn't,
0: an but I don't know. I, I don't have feel anything like about all
1: that. All the times I've been like, yes, pure, wonderful, <laughs> been like, and they abuse their children. Not with Izzy. Not with Izzy. Izzy is perfect.
0: <laughs> Helen Wolf continued to perform and influence rock bands like Eric Clapton and Led Zeppelin until the seventies, when his health started to decline. He had several heart attacks and suffered from kidney damage. His last performance was in 1975 in Chicago, for which which he received a five-minute standing ovation.
1: That's so good.
0: But after the show, he had to be treated by paramedics. Two months later, he suffered heart failure during a surgery and died at the age of 66. Here is one of his most successful songs, called Smokestack Lightning, recorded in 1956 for chess.
1: What are these names?
0: (laughs) You can actually see Helen.
1: Shining, yeah, I don't
0: know if it'll come across because I think it's when you're It a little bit.
1: It's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I like how. Muddy Waters is pretty good too, but I think I might like Helen Wilson's music better. I, mic so I like <laughs> it. I love
1: it. I want some more of it. Did that work?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks like it picked it up. Cool. Once we get into rock and roll, you'll start to see how important blues was to the development of these rock and roll artists. As Muddy Waters said, quote, the blues had a baby and they named it rock and roll. And that'll be a little bit more clear, like, as we talk about the birth of rock and roll.
1: Who did they have a baby with? And also, is that what Moaning at Midnight is about?
0: (laughs) Yes. Probably the blues and R&B. That's what merged. Next week, we'll talk about Muddy Waters, which will also give an indication of how influential this period of blues was for the subsequent artists. (laughs) All right. Well, that was the blues part two. That was episode 30, which <laughs> means we've officially released, like, probably 35 episodes now.
1: <laughs>
0: we're getting to be an old podcast. I am old. I think most don't make it past 20, so we're,
1: Oh.
0: you know, look at us. We're professionals now.
1: Yeah, I'm the most <laughs> professional <laughs> person.
0: You spent most of this episode, like, laying down on the table.
1: I spent most of this podcast laying down on the table.
0: That's what I said.
1: No, like, all of it.
0: Oh, not even the show. The the whole, all of it. (laughs) What did you think about the blues part two? The parts that you paid attention to? I
1: paid attention to the whole thing. I just act like I'm not paying attention, but it helps me pay better attention.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, then we're going to talk about Muddy. And then we're going to talk about Rhythm and Blues and Little Richard. That's going to be an interesting one.
1: Yeah, you keep saying that.
0: Yeah, just wait. And then we're going to talk about Country again.
1: I don't like Country
0: and then we're back at or and then we're finally at rock so we only have five more episodes before we actually get to rock and roll and then we have a couple other ones to tie up in the 50s and then we're going to do something that I think you're going to really like and I don't know if I should tell you it we're going to like take a break and do like a mini season on a certain thing that's still in theme but
1: I'm excited
0: okay all right, well, that's blues. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have an episode next week on Muddy Waters. But if we don't, it'll be out some Thursday morning. Just look out for it. Anything to say before we're around here, you just going to woo. <laughs> All right, goodbye. <laughs>